I, there was a couple of things God just put on my heart. And so first of all, can I ask you to stand? I know you just sat, so sorry. There's just, uh, it's good to declare truth over ourselves. And there was just a, a, a phrase that I wanted to, I'm going to read it and I want you to repeat it after me. You know, I, is that okay? We can do it twice because probably the first time you might be a bit, you know, unsure. And so it says, I am not here by mistake. I am here by divine appointment. God has a plan and a purpose for me. So we do that again. It says, I am not here by mistake. I am here by divine appointment. God has a plan and a purpose for me. Amen. You can sit down now. Thank you. Uh, there was another just encouragement. God just put on my heart while we were worshipping. And it's been on my heart for a while, really, and, and it just kind of came to me again. And there's a phrase that you might have heard if you're involved in sports, and it's the phrase, leave it all on the field. And that means that when you come off, you shouldn't have anything left. You've left it all out there. And it was interesting. Yesterday, uh, when I was doing my run, um, I was going to say we're going to give the results of the running uh, from the EGC running club, uh, but we won't do that. Um, but I was standing at the end watching some other people come in, and there was one person in particular who gave this almighty sprint finish, and it was really fast. But there was a part of me, I thought, if you can run that fast at the end, it means you haven't been trying as hard as you could the rest of the way around. You shouldn't have that much left in the tank for a, that sprint finish. And it just was on my heart that when we come, in, as we pray and as we worship God, do we leave it all on the field? Now, you guys, you get to sit down now. You can have a bit of a break. There was a part of me that was, I was a bit worried when I was worshiping. I was like, God, am I going to have enough strength or voice left to, to come and bring the word? And God has sustained me. Hallelujah. But I wonder, do we come away from our experience with God thinking, I've got a lot left in the tank, or have we left it all on the field? So I just want to leave that with you as a consideration and encouragement maybe uh, for the coming weeks. So today's subject is true repentance. Um, and I don't know what you think about when you hear the word repentance, what kind of connotations that, that stirs in you. And I confess that sometimes, I don't know why this is, but I have mixed reactions. There's a part of me that sometimes thinks, Oh, that's a really big thing. That's a heavy thing. That's, a, that's an important thing. It's a tough thing. But there's another part of me that thinks that's a wonderful thing. That's a joyous thing. And so there's a part of me that knows what I should think, but there's sometimes a part of me that can have a different reaction. And, and we can have these different um, kind of reactions to, to the word repentance. And there's this guy. And I, I, by the way, I, I've, gone, I've gone for the visual learners today. So if you're a visual learner, you, you, hopefully you're encouraged. And there was a guy called John the Baptist. And now, if you've been in church at all, you should know John the Baptist. Um, and he came before Jesus. And he had this really simple message. It was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so his message, he went around just saying, repent, repent, repent. Now, I don't know if he had many friends, um, but it's the sort of thing that if you just go around telling everyone to repent, they might not like you after a while. But yet, 
There were many people who came flocking to John to be baptized, to repent and be baptized. Uh, and we can read this. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to kind of uh, just anchor ourselves around um, John and kind of what he was doing. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Because it says at the beginning of that chapter, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John, again, he was a bit of an unconventional kind of guy, he was out in the wilderness. He looked, it says he wore, uh, was it camel's hair? And he ate locusts and honey. He was a bit of a strange guy. And so again, this weird looking dude who was just shouting, repent at people, but yet people came in floods. And so when he was asking for repentance, what was he actually asking? Because again, we can hear this word and it maybe has mixed feelings for us, but what does it actually mean? And so ultimately... What he was asking is for people to turn from their own way and to choose God's way. Because, I don't know if you understand, we have our, our own belief system. Each one of us has a belief system, a worldview, a way of thinking, a way of perceiving life. And there's two things. There's what you believe and there's what God says. It's not what God believes, it's what God says, because that's what's true. And the question is, where do the two align? Is what you think what God says? So that's kind of what he was saying is, now will you turn from the way of your thinking and choose God's way? And the truth is, for a lot of people there is some overlap. There's some overlap with what God says. So when God says, do not murder, I'd like to think that all of you here today agree with that. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm quite happy with that. And you'll, you'll be far-fetched to meet many people who wouldn't agree with that. So for the majority of people on this earth, there is some overlap with what we believe and what God says. And so you get that bit in the middle. But ultimately, what John was asking is that we come to the place that what we're about, who we are, is about what God says. And so why was he asking? Why is this important? And I'm going to show a little video. Might have to click play on the thing. Look, check it out. Labradoodle. What? Yeah, right down there. Oh, I love a good breed. It's so good. Yes, half lab, half moodle. Wait, what? Incredible. Moodle? Yeah. No, that's moodle. not a thing ever. No, no, it totally is. A moodle. Isn't that, isn't that Dave from Econ? Oh, yeah. What is he doing up here? He's probably just enjoying the view, man. Wait, isn't, isn't Dave blind? 
warned him. Hey, hey, Dave. Whoa, 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 bro. What are you doing? You can't just tell Dave what to do. Wait, why? Are you blind? Uh, no. Okay, so then you don't know what Dave's gone through. You can't really relate to him, man. Just, just, just let him be. He's totally fine. He's literally slipping right now. Yeah, okay, you're gonna you're gonna get all up on him for for slipping. Like everyone slips from here and there. I don't it's care no if he slips. I'm just trying to keep a guy from falling off a cliff. No, no. Okay, listen. What what I think you need to do right now is you just need to love him. You need to not point out. What does his that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything. Okay, like if you. If you point out his weaknesses, he won't feel loved, he won't feel accepted. I'm just, feel I'm just accepted. trying to keep a guy from going off the cliff. No, he's not even stopping. You, hey, Dave! Gonna, no, whoa, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it! You speak out against blind people, so what many people will be upset with you? with you. No, so many people won't like you. But also, what if, what if he doesn't like us anymore? Have you ever thought about that? Dave will be dead. I need to say, hey, no, no, Dave! No, 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 Dave! Someone, is someone there? Uh, yeah! Hey Dave, how's it going? It's uh, it's Charlie from school. Oh hey man. I'm doing this for Dave's birthday. Uh, maybe you can help me out. I seem to have lost a trail somewhere. You you want to tell me if I'm going the right way? Maybe he is lost. You're right. We we should still just encourage him. Yeah yeah hey no Dave you know you're doing great man. Uh, you know I love that you're out here man too. I'm proud of you being out on this trail. You're doing great man. You're doing great. Okay, thanks, man. Is Sam going the right way? Watch, he'll figure it out. You just gotta love him through his problems. Yeah, you got it, man. Dave, what are you doing? What? So the whole idea when we're talking about repentance is this idea that to turn. That's what the, the root word of the repentance means. It's a turn away from what you're doing, to turn around, do a U-turn, change direction. And we live in a society where sometimes telling people what to do isn't much appreciated. Like People don't want to be told what to do. But it's really important. And in that sense... See if we can click. Uh, next slide. Videos always mess these things up. There we go. Hopefully we're back on track. But it's a matter of life and death. For Dave, it was a matter of life and death. But his friend, one of his friends, didn't want to tell him about that because they were more interested in other things. How do we be loving? How do we be accepting? How do we encourage? Whereas the reality was, this is a matter of life and death. And so when John the Baptist was giving his message, he wasn't doing it in a way to condemn people. And sometimes when we can think about, repent, repent, it's like, oh, that's a bit heavy, isn't it? But actually, it's a matter of life and death. Um, you might have heard this quote before, but there was, I was reminded again, there was a, a, the entertainer, uh, magician Penn, his name's Pinjolet, and he does the magic, pen and teller. And he's an atheist. And famously, he once said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
It's a matter of life and death. And we have this opportunity, and in a sense, the reason this whole message today is here, because this is so important for us, that God wants to bring us into something. And, and the truth is, repentance is a gift. I don't know if you see it that way, but when, when the scripture talks about repentance, it says, this is given by God, it's granted by God. And it's actually a gift. It's a wonderful thing that God wants to give. If you think about a gift, gifts are good, generally, you know? If you've ever, you might have received one or two nap gifts, things that really disappoint you, but it says, actually, that God knows how to give good gifts. He doesn't give you rubbish stuff. And repentance is a gift because it's God's way of us coming back into relationship with him. In a sense, the greatest gift those two guys could have given their friend Dave would have been to go up and help him and turn him around and lead him in the right direction. That would have been the greatest gift, but they were interested in other things. So it's saying turn from the way that, you, that you're leading, the way that's leading you off the cliff. The gift of God is given because it's this opportunity to turn. And I was thinking about it in this way. I just picture, I don't know if you like picture all things, but I was thinking about, imagine you're going down an escalator and at the end of an escalator, there's some vast chasm or something like that. But the escalator's going that way, and you're trying to walk up against it. This might be just someone's nightmare. Um, but, you know, you're trying to walk down, go down this escalator, and you're trying to go against the flow, but there's no way because the escalator keeps going down, down, down. But the gift of God is saying there's a switch. Let's switch around, and the escalator goes up. And that's what God is saying. There's an opportunity I want to give you an opportunity that he's not going to lead you off the cliff, but lead you into life. So when John the Baptist came with this, um, this message, people reacted in different ways. People always react to things in different ways. And so we're going to look at three different types of reaction that people had. Uh, and the first was those who were opposed to God. Because some people will oppose God and they will choose to believe what they want to believe. And so with John the Baptist, there's a famous kind of story about him that he would, he would speak out about things. And one of the people he spoke out against was King Herod. And so sometimes if you're picking a fight, picking a fight against the biggest guy in the town is maybe not the best idea, but John didn't hold back. And King Herod was kind of on a slippery slope because what he was doing here had basically taken his brother's wife and was having an affair with her. He was living with her and taking her into the palace. And so John the Baptist was speaking out and saying, you can't do this. This isn't right. Now, it's the sort of thing everyone was probably looking at and going, this isn't good. That's a bit wrong. But he was the one who was speaking out this challenge. And so obviously that made him really unpopular. And it led to him being arrested uh, by Herod, put into jail, and then eventually... Herodias was the woman he was having the affair with, uh, connived to actually have him beheaded, and Herod did that. So that was his end. His, his message got him beheaded eventually. And there are some people who are always going to be opposed to God. They'll respond to a message like this with something along the lines of, you can't tell me what to do. And again, that's a prevalent message in this age that people want to respond if you tell anyone else what to do, it's kind of like, well, what authority have you got? You can't tell me what to do. You can't point out my errors and the things I'm doing wrong. 
Like he was saying, you know, we all slip. We all fall. So you shouldn't be pointing that out in other people. And even there's a, they will throw it at Christians and say, doesn't the Bible say, say you shouldn't judge? Stop judging me. We have to understand some of the scriptures in the right context that they're being said. Now, I'd hope today that there aren't any people here who are, are opposed to God because I believe, as I said before, God has brought you here today with a purpose and you're here today because God is stirring your heart whether you realise it or not. And so maybe you aren't in this category of those who appear God. But these are people who will steer clear of Christians. And maybe you experience people in life who will steer clear of you, who will steer clear of churches, because all they want to do is believe what they want to believe. So that's one group of people. The next group of people are those who come with what the Bible says is worldly grief. And so back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, and so John's out there giving his message, and he says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so these were guys who had come to be baptised. I don't know what you could think if, if people came into the church and it's like, well, you've come to church, but you're a brood of vipers. It's maybe not the most welcoming message that we want to give. But John was looking at something about these people that didn't add up. And there wasn't the, the outworking in their life that they needed to see. And Paul, in uh, the book of Corinthians, puts it this way. So in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You know, there are two ways of responding to God in that sense. And there were people who came and they had what he's saying is worldly grief. But the difference is that this didn't produce life, it produced death. And so often we can come and we have this crossroads that we can encounter. And maybe we all come to the crossroads, but then what we choose, how we respond, will determine whether we get death or we get life. It's interesting because you'd think, who wouldn't want some of the stuff that Jesus offers? Like John was saying, let's bless each other. Who doesn't want to be blessed? You know, if I said to you, come and you can get, and God is going to make you prosperous. Anyone not want to be prosperous? God, come and God is going to give you peace. Does anyone not want peace? Does not want joy? It's interesting there, I heard this thing and there's a group of businesses and they are implementing Christian principles in their businesses, even though they're not Christians. Because they really realise that Christian principles in business actually produce good results. And so they recognise there's good stuff in this, even if I don't want to follow Jesus. And so in some respects, it's like, who doesn't want to be washed of all their sin? 
and cleansed. That sounds like good stuff to me. And so you can understand why people will come to God and say, yeah, I'm interested in this. But it's realising you can come with that mindset but still take a path that leads to death. And this is what he was saying. There are some who come with worldly grief. I love this one. If you love uh, Shrek or Puss in Boots, this is Puss in Boots. And he comes and he, he gives you the big eyes, quivering lip, sorry, please. And that's how some people will come. And they can give it loads of tears. They can give it lots of emotion, many words. But it isn't necessarily the path that leads to life. And the reason is, and this is the problem with this, is the people who come, but it's more about them than it is about God. And I don't know if you've ever had that in your life. So with my kids, sometimes they'll come and eventually I'll, I'll, I'll persuade them to say sorry. But they haven't got a clue some, often what they're saying sorry about. But what they realise is that if I say sorry, I can get out of trouble. And the thing is, sometimes we often say to them, they say sorry and we say, you don't sound like you mean it. And so then what we teach them is to sound sorry, <laughs> even though they still might not mean it. But if they go like this, I'm really sorry. We go, okay then. But, but you realise, and if you've had kids, you realise this, that they can come and they can give you the big eyes, the quivering lip, the tears. It doesn't mean they're sorry at all. All it means is they got caught and they're in trouble. And they want to get off the hook. They want to have you like them again, because that's what they think. They think, I'm in trouble, they don't like me, dad's angry or something like that. And so they do something to appease that. But the trouble is, what, as, again, as parents, but ultimately what God wants, God wants us to come and experience change. Because I'm not interested in you saying sorry, I'm interested in you not doing that again. And not just because I don't like it, but because it's not good for you. And the trouble is, many of your people will come to God and they'll say the words, they'll pray the prayer, but all it's about is themselves. They want to alleviate their feeling of guilt. They want to, you know, as I said, who doesn't want to say, be washed of everything? Yeah, that sounds really good. And so if you give me a word I need to say to be washed, I'll say it. But we can come and there'd be no change. And this is what John the Baptist was saying to these Pharisees, Sadducees who were coming. He's saying, you're coming because you want the good stuff, but you're not willing to allow God to come and impact your heart and change your life. He said he wanted to see fruit worthy of repentance. That doesn't mean we have to come and be all perfect and then be forgiven, because that just doesn't work that way. But God is looking at the motivation and intentions of our heart. And so when we come, what's it about? Is it about us? Because as I said, and you've probably experienced this, somebody who just will give you so much tears, and they look so sad. But then the moment you kind of say, okay, I forgive you, they're like, oh, good, thanks. And, and what you've done is just let them off the hook and appease their guilt. And it doesn't mean there's any change in that relationship and in their life. So we can come to God. It can be really 
to be honest, it's about manipulation. That people can come and they think they can manipulate God and get God to do what they want to do. The other trouble is we have this point where we can come to God and we can say, yeah, I agree with God, I agree with God, and in a sense those two circles get more and more aligned and then something happens and we hit an obstacle. I don't know if you've had that in your walk, Christian walk, that you're saying, yeah, I want to follow God, I want to believe in God, and I'm going to go to church, I'm going to do all this stuff. Then suddenly something happens and you maybe you read it in the Bible or you hear it or someone says something and you think, whoa, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. I'm not sure I agree with that. And you will encounter something that then counteracts what you think and believe. And the two things suddenly don't fit together. And God will say, I require this of you. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I believe that or I agree with it. And the problem with that, what it means is we've come to God on the basis of, I will go with you as long as you agree with me. I will follow you as long as I am happy to follow you. But the truth is, when we come to God, what he's saying was, will you follow me even when you don't agree? Go on to that a bit in a minute. And, and it's for this reason that we go round and round in circles. And I don't know if you've had that experience in your Christian life. You go round and round in circles because in the end, what happens is what you believe becomes more important than what God believes. And that's where it leads to death. Because in the end, ultimately, it's about what you think, your opinions, your desires. And God is saying, that is the path that leads to death. He's saying, I want to give you the path that leads to life, but the only way that is is if you come and you submit yourself to what I'm saying. We're all going to encounter that, but if at the very beginning you have not set your mind to say, I will do what God wants, then you're going to stumble when you encounter that obstacle. So the, the third and last type of response is choosing it God's way. Now, I confess that there's parts of us that when we become a Christian, you know, we're not all sorted. We still need to learn things. But the, the, the difference is, is that when obstacles come, when things come that we don't get, it's that thing that takes precedence. God's way takes precedence over our way. And so there's a few things to understand. Well, you might be saying, well, okay, so... What does true repentance mean? Ultimately, true repentance means that, that we are fully persuaded in the core of our being that God is right. We are truly persuaded to the core of our being that God is right. That when we come and he says, come and repent and believe and receive life, we're not saying, I'll do it as long as it suits me. What we're saying in our heart is, I will do this 
regardless. I will follow God regardless. We don't know what hurdles are going to come our way, but what you've done is you've set yourself, you've set your heart on a path that is saying, when hurdles come, I will choose God's way. I don't know what that is, because there are things that you're going to come across in your life. And it's not necessarily sin, but there might be things that God is going to say to you, I need you to do this. And the question is, will you follow God's way or will you follow your own way? Because what it means is that we obey regardless of whether we understand or agree. Because again, if you're only going to do God's thing, if you agree, that means that you are God in that relationship. We have to recognize we don't know everything. And so when God will put you out and say, will you trust me with this? You say, well, yeah, I'll do it. The heart that is truly repentant say, yeah, I'll do it. When God's saying, don't do that, and you say, why, God? Because I said so, which is the most frustrating thing for a child, because I said so. But sometimes, God doesn't have to explain everything. God can't explain everything. You know, if you see your child running out into the road, you say, stop, and they turn around and say, why should I stop? Could you explain to me why I should stop, please? No, they just need to obey. And there's times that God is going to say things to you, and, and it's not our prerogative to start questioning that, but just to obey. And if we have to just question everything that God says, it's like being a soldier in battle, you know? It's like, take the hill, well, well, what about this, what about that? You know, you don't have time sometimes to explain these things. And sometimes there's things that God knows that he does not want you to know. There are things that he knows that you do not need to know. And are you okay with that? Now, I'm not saying God won't reveal certain things to you. I think sometimes our brains just can't get it. And so I'll just be wasting my time if I tried to explain it with you. So when something happens, you just say, God, if that's your will, because you don't know the implication of how that might impact this and this and this other thing. You just don't know that you've submitted yourself to God. True repentance is when we accept responsibility for our sin. Often people won't go forward because they're too busy blaming others for what's wrong about them. And so you're blaming the government, you're blaming your parents, you're blaming your education, you're blaming society. It's always somebody else's fault. And if you look right at the beginning with Adam and Eve, when God came to them, it was always pointing every which way. It was somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. I don't know, that's what my kids say to me. It's not my fault. It's like, but you just did that. We have to take responsibility for our sin. Yeah, there, there are factors that influence who we are today. There's no denying that. Your upbringing, the society you're in, influences who you are today. But in Christ, it doesn't restrict who you can be tomorrow. And if we're constantly looking back, blaming somebody else, blaming something else, we're never going to go forward. We have to take responsibility and say, this is who I am, this is what's happened. Just be honest with God about it. Yeah, it's happened, but God says, my grace is 
sufficient. Because do you not think that there's any situation that God can't take you out of if he doesn't want to? If he wanted to, rather. You could say, God, but I'm stuck in this job. God can take you out of that. God, I can't do this. Well, God can provide for that. And it's only if we don't submit ourselves to God and trust him with that that we're going to be restricted. And so we have to stop blaming others but take responsibility for our own sin. True repentance means that we acknowledge our sin is first and foremost against God. King David, he wrote in Psalm 51, and the background of Psalm 51 is after King David has gone through this period where he probably just wasn't really connected with God and he had, uh, he, he had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba because he looked at her and wanted her and called her in. Now Bathsheba was the wife of one of his chief soldiers and he wanted to cover this up but when he couldn't cover it up he got the, the soldier murdered. And so he was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of murder. He had violated this one woman, murdered another, and out of that the child had died. But yet he said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. And that's, just, that's strange, really, because there was a lot of other people involved here, let alone the whole nation of Israel, who were impacted by his sin. Lots of people were impacted, but what he recognised is that his sin was ultimately against God. Because sin, by definition, is an assault on the glory of God. When we act in a way that's against his law, his nature, his character, his authority and his purposes, it impacts others, but it's against God. And this is why it's so important that the first thing we need to do is get right with God. Because you might be trying to sort out relationships, which is nice. It's a good thing. We should love our neighbour. But the order is, sort out things with God first. Because your sin is against him. And if you, if you get into that place where your relationship with him is right, then other things get, get sorted, really. The root of your rebellion is against God. And so we can say well, I'm going to sort this issue out, I'm going to sort this issue out, but all we're sorting out is the fruit. Because David's issue was not that he ultimately slept with Bathsheba or even killed Uriah. His issue that he was in a state of rebellion against God. Because if he was not in a state of rebellion against God, those other things would never have happened. And so he had to recognise, my heart is against God, and I need to sort that out. In time, other things then get sorted, but ultimately that's the first and foremost thing to recognise. True repentance means we must also accept the consequence of our sin. Sometimes if you've been forgiven, you might think, well, that lets me off the hook then. I don't have to do that. But true repentance means I'm going to take the consequence of my sin, and we might not like it. I've heard stories of people who have done things that are illegal, for example, and then they, because of that, when they've come to a point of conviction and repentance, they've gone and confessed it. 
And there was one particularly in America, I heard this story recently, and the man, this man uh, was part of gangs, and he shot someone and tried to kill them, it didn't work, but then he went on the run, came to faith years later, and then felt, I need to go and confess this. The point was, at that point, no one was even looking for him. They kind of buried the case, it was done, they couldn't find anyone. No one was interested, but he felt, I should go and confess this. And he went and, uh, to the police, I guess, and confessed it, and they, he was tried. And his lawyer was a man named, named Lee Strobel. You might have heard of him. And he was an atheist at the time. And he didn't get it. He didn't get it, why this man wanted to come and be right, do the right thing. And long story short, it came to the point where the judge said, I see what's changed in your life. I see what's happened, and it serves no purpose to imprison you for this crime. He was put on probation and sent home to be with his family. And his testimony was, this is the grace of God. It's maybe, maybe that was the thing he hoped for, but maybe never even realised it could happen. But do we actually realise that God can orchestrate things? Now, it might mean he went to prison, and we've got to be prepared if that's the path that God takes us to accept the consequences of our sin. We might have to pay money. We might have to suffer broken relationship because of it. But it's better that we're right with God and right with one another. The consequence of true repentance is that we are washed as white as snow. It's where healing takes place in our lives, where change takes place and life happens. And again, all this can sound really heavy, but ultimately, this is the path that leads to life. And again, if you're here this morning, I believe it's because you want life. But it's the question of whether you're going to choose that. And so we have this question, what is our response? What will we choose? Quite famously, it's changing it there, but not on there. Quite famously, Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there is a choice. In your life, there is a choice where you're going to choose. Am I going to choose God's way? It was really interesting when I became a Christian. Um, my sister said to me, well, if you come to church, you aren't just come for the good stuff. You've got to come. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to give yourself to God. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do that then. I think I said it more out of just to annoy her more than anything else. Um, but in a sense, I, I thank God for that moment because it made it black and white to me. This isn't just a come along and cherry pick. Pick the good bits. It's a, you've got to give your whole heart to God. And I'm thankful for that because it meant I, I set myself to follow him. And yeah, there's times I've gone off. There's times I've wavered. But I knew that was the path I wanted to take. That when you read the scriptures, that you say, I'm going to believe the word of God. And if I don't understand it, I'm going to ask God about it. I'm going to ask people about it. I'm going to seek to understand it. But sometimes I'm not going to understand it. I'm still going to obey God. When God asks you to do something, I'm going to obey God rather than obey men. Because God will ask you to do things that just seem ludicrous. They seem ludicrous to us because we can't see the full picture. But they're in his purpose.
So we make that one decision, that choice. But then repentance is a daily exercise because our head gets turned. Our thinking goes askew. But it's a daily exercise to say, no, today I choose to follow what God wants me to follow. I turn my head back. And that's why it's wonderful, because God's given us this open door to say, you can come back to me. You can come back to me. You know, when you find yourself doing something stupid that you know you shouldn't do, God's saying, turn back to me. Confess it. And I do, I say, God, I've been stupid. And I turn back to you. As I was just praying about this this morning, God brought this one verse to my mind. And it's in Psalm 86, 11. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And for me, that's my prayer for myself. And I pray for you today. Teach me your way, O Lord. Because we don't know the way of God. We, it's alien to us. But are we willing to say, I want to be like this, where my life is about what God has said. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I don't know what God might be speaking to you this morning. And maybe you feel like you've never made that decision to say, yeah, I'm, it's all about him. Maybe you've been cherry-picking, you've been hesitant. As Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. Make a decision today to follow him. Maybe you realise that your head's been turned. And today is that opportunity, he says, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this is the promise of God. It's a simple thing. Don't let your pride stop you from coming to him. And you can just say, God, I was wrong. And maybe there's a point as well where you think, I'm struggling with what you're saying, God. Because sometimes God will say, this is true, and you want to believe it, but in your heart, you're struggling to believe it. And God says, this is bad, and you'll say, well, it feels really good. And you're struggling to align yourself with God's truth. And this is why this prayer is there. Teach me your way. Just confess that incongruent thought to God. That you're saying, God, it doesn't, my thoughts don't add up to your thoughts. But will you teach me your way? Because that's the important thing. The heart behind this is important. Will you teach me your way that I can walk in truth? Will you change my heart? Will you show me the reality of this situation? And ultimately, say, whether I like it or not, God, I submit myself to you. And I will follow you. Even if it's kicking and screaming sometimes, I will do it and I will follow you. Amen.